Hey everyone, uh, I'm excited to get to introduce our speaker for today. Our Bishop Todd Hunter, once a year, he records a sermon and he sends it out to churches all over the diocese. And it's really a, a gift to get to hear from this man who is leading our diocese. He is the diocese, uh, he's the Bishop of uh, Churches for the Sake of Others, where Trinity is a, a part, as well as where Emmanuel will be a part. And so today, Bishop Todd Hunter is going to speak to the church on what is called Good Shepherd Sunday. So I'm going to read uh, a text from John chapter 10 that he'll be alluding to, and then transfer it over to him. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, C4SO churches across America. I am Todd Hunter. I'm in Franklin, Tennessee this morning. Great to be with you on what we call Good Shepherd Sunday. I don't know all what churches are using this across America, but it's wonderful to be with you wherever you are. So as a young man, I was really enthralled with Billy Graham in the sense that I just thought he was, uh, you know, the greatest. And in the late 80s, when I was working for Vineyard Churches, I had the opportunity to, I was making a study on evangelism, like, you know, in the 80s, you know, that was a new day, you know, now we're in a new day as well. But in the late 80s, it was this kind of this new day, and I was trying to find an approach to evangelism that uh, could be effective in the late 80s and coming into the 90s. So I happened to know uh, Billy's crusade director, and he arranged for me to go spend four days with Billy and his team in Seattle, in the old Seattle um, stadium that's now been torn down, and the Tacoma Center, I think it was called, that was an arena uh, that he also did a two-day crusade in. And in those crusades, um, and when I think of Billy and what lasts with him, I think of these two um, iconic moments. The first one was the stadium was empty. Uh, this was in the old football stadium. The stadium was empty. And Billy and a couple of his long, long, long time um, um, cohorts, you might say, it was Bev Shea, I think, and, and now I'm drawing a blank on the, um, the choir director's name. But the point is, these three guys who've been together for 30 or 40 years doing these crusades, they walked out on the stage, saw this huge empty stadium, and one of them, I don't remember which one, said, golly, Billy, look at all the people the Lord's going to bring tonight. And that sort of boyish innocence, you know, there were no cameras on, there was only one or two other people standing there besides me and Billy and his team. I just have never forgotten that, and it's 30-some years ago. Later, I think it was the same day, could have been the next day, we were down underneath the stadium in one of the hallways that exist under these big stadiums, and this young man, I think he might have been a reporter, was leaning against this concrete wall, and, and Billy and I, and again, a couple of his uh, team walked by, 
and this young man um, reaches out his hand to Billy and says something like, you know, gosh, I just, you know, I just want you to know how much you mean to me or something like that. And I could see literal sort of like pain come into Billy's face as he looked at this young man and said, oh, dear man, you know, please don't look at me, you know, look at Jesus. And then lastly, on one of the nights of the crusade, I was sitting all by myself in the football or baseball press box, you know, hundreds of feet above um, the stadium floor where people were sitting and hundreds of feet uh, above the platform that Billy would have been um, speaking from. And he was basically done with his message and was beginning to give, you know, his altar call. And maybe more so than any time in my life, certainly equal to any time in my life, I felt like I could feel the Holy Spirit like coming through the top of this dome, like down onto the field as people were responding to Billy's message and coming to Christ. Well, all that to say, like I said, I knew Billy was famous. He literally was one of the one or two most famous people in the world for most of his life. But what I remember from him is not his fame, and I don't even remember so much the greatness of his gift. What has stuck with me for 35 years is the quality of him as a person. He was a truly good man, truly humble, unfeigned modesty, was not impressed with himself. I'll just never forget it as long as I live. And I thought of that story because here we are on this Sunday uh, in Eastertide where we call it um, Good Shepherd Sunday. And on this Sunday, we celebrate uh, the good qualities, the essential good qualities of Jesus, who is our shepherd. And so when we talk about goodness here, what we really mean is something like the biblical words of righteousness or or justice, like, like God is not just loving, but he's also good, like he's trustworthy. And we need this. If we're to trust Jesus and have confidence to follow him, we need to trust that he is truly good. So for instance, our reading this morning from Psalm 23, we see that saving goodness is really central to God's being. Um, we hear these famous words, the Lord is my shepherd. And what they really mean is, I am in the care of another. Now, I want you to just pause for a moment and think about your daily life, moment by moment, you know, day by day, week by week. Are you truly conscious of being in the care of another? Or either on your conscious mind or maybe subconsciously, do you rather feel like, no, I have to care for myself and that if I don't look out for myself, no one else is going to look after me? Now, that is a very, very fundamental departure in the, of the road in Christian spirituality. We either live believing, I am in the care of another. And therefore, as the psalmist says, I lack nothing. And you could think of Psalm 23 as simply an exercise in saying, look at the goodness that God bestows on me. It's in green pastures and quiet waters that I find restore for my soul. That he guides me along right paths. And that when I'm scared, the psalmist says, you're with me, comforting me. You provide me, the psalmist says, uh, provide for me, I mean, even when my enemies aim to hurt me. And your goodness is so much, the psalmist says, that it overflows from me to others. And finally, summarizing, he says, surely your goodness and love. There we have it again, this idea of mercy, of loving kindness. This is the Hebrew um, concept, hesed, which the psalmist is picturing that God is giving himself fully to me with compassion. 
and that that will follow me, he says, all the day of my life. Well, that Hebrew word for follow really is more pursue. And so David is feeling God pursuing him all the days of his life. Now just picture the days of David's life, David's life. All the upsides, all the downtimes. And what I want you to hear in this this morning is that Psalm 23 is not just beautiful religious poetry. This is the lived experience of a deeply complex human being who struggled mightily in life. And we all could tell the bad stories about David and was also powerfully connected to God and powerfully used by God. So Psalm 23 is David living out that complex life and saying, this is how I experience the goodness of God. And then our reading this morning in Acts 4 picks up a story in which the apostles have healed a lame man. And in this, they are just simply acting out one of the fundamental aspects of following Jesus is that they themselves knew that they were agents of Jesus's goodness, having received his goodness, having received the, the goodness of Jesus being their shepherd, they knew that an aspect of that was to give it away, like the name of our diocese, for the sake of others. So having healed this man, they're then asked by the religious leaders of the day, by what power did you do this? Um, that's the you know, Greek term dunamis. And like, where'd you get this ability? Where'd you get the capacity to do this? And by what name did you do this? And their answer is, look, if we're being called on account for an act of kindness, and that means like a good deed done for the benefit of another. The, the whole um, kind of concept here is an act of kindness for the benefit of another. So you might think of like a benefit concert, you know, maybe like a, a young girl's just been described with, uh, um, diagnosed, I mean, with cancer or something, and the local community does like a benefit concert, meaning everything we're doing here is to benefit another. And that's what's in view here. And so they answer, this was done in the name. And in the Bible, when we hear that phrase, in the name, it actually means in the character of. So we did this in the character or in alignment with the goodness that is the person of Jesus, our good shepherd. And in our epistle reading this morning in 1 John 3, you know, John's often called the, the apostle of love in that he gets what love is, he gets what it does, and I want to say that what we hear in 1 John this morning is the basis for trusting and interacting with Jesus. So John writes, this is how we know what love is. That's the word that you would expect, agape. And agape, again, just simply is, it's, a, it's this very um, lovely, got a lot of depth type of word that's mean to say, this mean to say, this is what we experience when God wills our good. When this good God wills the good of others, this is a certain kind of amazing love the Bible calls agape love. And so John says, this is how we know what it is that Jesus laid down his life for us, that this was the ultimate expression of love. And this is what makes Jesus good and trustworthy to be our Lord and to be the shepherd of our soul. Well, finally then, that brings us to our gospel reading this morning, uh, which is the, the um, classic reading for Good Shepherd Sunday in John 10. Now remember, John is writing um, in his gospel, this is a tract, like we would think of a tract. 
that John wrote his gospel, that he, he says why he wrote it at the end, that people would come to know and place their confidence in Jesus and in, in, in his goodness as a good shepherd. And so John, uh, writing that tract and wanting people to hear this aspect of Jesus's goodness, has Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, on the other hand, Jesus says, is not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. He runs away when the wolf attacks. Now, this story, this, story, this give and take between Jesus and the religious leaders began in uh, the chapter before in, in John 9, where Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders are getting, getting on him about it. And so here he's now calling those religious leaders uh, the hired hands. And so Jesus is saying they run when things get difficult versus me where I came to the world that I created and that world rebelled against me and rejected me and yet I gave myself to it in the utmost. I laid down my life for the sheep. Now the main division between Jesus and the bad shepherds or we might think this morning between Jesus and good religion and bad religion is really one of priorities. What Jesus is getting on them about is that he's actually helping people versus them employing externals to make themselves look good. So they're getting mad at Jesus because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. And Jesus, in a sense, is putting it back to them saying, yeah, well, your commitment to the Sabbath really has nothing to do with being in alignment with God, being the people of God for the sake of others. It has to do with just religious externals, that what they were really concerned about was their good standing uh, in the synagogue and the fact that being who they were gave them sort of an insider cultural status. And so Jesus is saying that these kinds of people, they're not good shepherds. This is, this is an example of bad religion, that these people were not lovingly, organically connected to God and his purposes. In a sense, we might say today, they were just kind of passing through town, trying to earn a buck. And of course, there's nothing inherently wrong with trying to earn a buck. It's just that it's no comparison to the covenant fidelity of God. You think back to the, um, the garden. When Adam and Eve sins, the first words out of God's mouth are, Adam, where are you? And if we just think of Ha-Adam, uh, Adam as humanity, you hear the cry of God, humanity, where are you? And so when Jesus finds an ill person, a sick person, a broken person on the Sabbath and heals them, he is simply acting completely in tune or in harmony uh, should be no surprise with his father, that this trinity of beings have always had this passionate desire to do good to humanity. And Jesus in John 9 and 10 is just simply contrasting that, that character, that quality of Jesus, the good shepherd, with the other shepherds of Israel who had just had their own agenda that was more political and social and personal. It wasn't connected to the purposes of the Trinity flowing through them. You know, again, as David said, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. That is a great vision of Christian spirituality, that the good shepherd shepherds us so much 
and so well that we become so confident, so secure, so grounded. We become so rich. We become like billionaires in the love of God and the goodness of God. We're then able to just easily and naturally give that away the way a billionaire would give away a $5 bill. That's the vision. The good shepherd is so good to me, so rich. He, it's like he anoints my head with oil and it runs down from me and out from me and overflows to the good of others. So Jesus is able to live in that sort of kind of countercultural norm because he's living inside of relationship with his father. And this is what makes him the good shepherd. Um, good in our text this morning is the word kalos. And it means that Jesus is this ideal, uh, the writer of Hebrews said the exact image of his father, that Jesus is the ideal, pure, like excellent in his nature and characteristics. He is the good shepherd. And he's, and he's good not just because of who he is as the second person of the Trinity, but because he expresses that amongst humanity in a way that is always good for us. So Good Shepherd Sunday is not meant just as a study of Jesus. There's actually a very strong, I think, spiritual formation element uh, to this Sunday and to our readings this morning. And so I'd, I'd like to close with just giving you a few of these things that I, as I just thought for myself, well, what does this mean for me as I try to follow Jesus? So here's the first thing. What makes Jesus good is as, as the representation of his father, he does not depend on anyone else for his existence. And I just want you to feel that freedom. So when the Pharisees misunderstood him, when teachers of the law rejected him, when political powers rejected him, he didn't need anything from them. Nothing of his character, nothing of his reputation, nothing of his groundedness inside was dependent on anybody else. God does not depend on anyone else for his existence. Rather, existences of any kind, they are dependent on him. And that is the basis of the free goodness of Jesus. And if you can catch that this morning, you can begin to catch a bit of that for yourself that you don't have to rely on anybody or anything else to find the goodness of God. And then secondly, as I th think about these passages and, and just try to picture them, I picture the ease with which Jesus walked this earth, always without lack. It's as if Jesus could have said, the Father is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that same sort of thing is meant in our own spirituality it's meant to shape our mind and our imagination that the Lord Jesus is my shepherd. And this utterly sufficient person who doesn't have to rely on anybody or anything else, he is the source of the love and goodness of God in my life. And then thinking just for a last moment about Psalm 23 um, and thinking about this person, the Lord is my shepherd, this person of goodness who's with us, um, C.S. Lewis has famously written that in God there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only a plenteousness. It's an old sort of English word. We might say over and up, only an abundance that desires to give. Let me say that again. In God there is no hunger that needs to be filled, 
only an overabundance. And from that overabundance, desires to give. Now, I think I could pretty much guarantee that you wake up every morning and go through your day with one of those two things being real to you. That you're connected to this God who has a plenteousness about him, an overabundance that he desires to give. There's a goodness that he desires to give. And we either wake up in the morning being conscious of being in that stream or we end up being conscious in the stream of self and then having to provide goodness for ourselves, or to find goodness in our boss or to find goodness in our spouse or in any number of ways. And those two things that, that come out of a certain seed of thought, they lead to very different sorts of lives. So one way to hear Good Shepherd Sunday is to hear somebody saying something like this about Jesus. Forget everything you think you know about God. And in the life of Jesus, just hear God saying, I'm going to show you what I'm really like. That Jesus is the good shepherd. And the goodness of Jesus versus anything any of you listening today might be able to name about bad religion. In any crowd of any size, there are people who are in church. They want to be in church but in their most secret thoughts about God, and I don't mean secret in an immoral way, I just mean in their most private, and that's a better word, in their most private thoughts about God, they wonder about him. And they wonder if he is reliably good. Um, you know, why aren't some of my most important prayers answered? And why is there suffering in the world? And we could go on and on and on. And the goodness of Jesus in Good Shepherd Sunday this goodness versus all the bad religion we could name is meant to be the confident path to faith, to discipleship, and to mission. Think of it this way. Every morning you wake up in the middle of something that's already going on and that has been going on for a long time and will be the, de the determinative shaper of all of human history. And that is to say, you got up this morning and you will get up tomorrow morning in the goodness of God's love out of the plenteousness, plenteousness of his power and love poured out to you in Jesus, who is your good shepherd. Amen. Amen.